Tony. Hello, Canada, and Happy New Year. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense 2021 Year in Review. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. It's been a while, but we're back. But we're back, and uh, good to hear your voice again. I hope that you are in a warmer climate than I am because climate change has hit the prairies. We've had a two-week cold snap, and that's never happened in the prairies. Hashtag sarcasm. Yeah. All you got to do is talk to us in Calgary because climate change happens there all the time, you know, with getting really cold and then having Chinooks and warming up and then getting really cold again. Well, and having lived in Calgary, I mean, you you got to experience climate change firsthand. Oh, almost daily. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, this pretty world, much. This, yeah, as, as, as our listeners are going to, I mean, they already know, because that's why they listen to our show, but this this world is getting dumber by the day. Yeah, it really is. And it's, uh, well, I mean, the mainstream media has a big role to play in that. And uh, actually, before we get into what we're going to talk about the show today, let's touch on that. I heard an interview with Peter Mansbridge on a uh, CBC podcast. And uh, yes, that's how how the lengths we go to to get content for you, Canada. We even listen to CBC shows. And Peter Mansbridge had said early on in his career, he was working in Winnipeg and he was doing a live spot for the, you know, on camera in, in Winnipeg. And he got a phone call the next day and said, the next time you do a spot, you get the hell out of town because when you're in the prairies, you need to be out of town to have you know, open, ter- open prairie behind you. And here in Saskatchewan, you bloody well get a great elevator behind you. And I just thought, yeah, because there's absolutely no bias whatsoever. Well, and I mean, we're finding – I mean <laughs> – we're finding out. I mean, we already knew, but we're getting confirmation from uh, former CBC reporters now. Like, uh, I believe Tara Henley, I think is her name. Um, yeah, she uh, she came out and wrote an op-ed saying the, that she left CBC and this is why. And it's because of the bias. And she's like, when she joined the news room her uh she was the most left-wing reporter in the newsroom and now she's the most conservative and her views have not changed yeah that was really that's a good that was a good story on her yeah and uh i mean it's what all she did was confirm what we've been saying she didn't she didn't bring anything new to light she just confirmed everything that 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 conservatives have been saying for years. And I mean, and the thing that, the only thing in the article or in her op-ed that I, that I was like uh, side-eyeing a bit was how she said that it's all happened in the past 18 months. And I'm like, um, try 18 years. <laughs> yep. That's right. So, so, all right, Canada, we're going to get right to it here on the show today. Biggest stories of 2021, residential schools from May to today. There was some kind of election in the summer. And, of course, we can't get away from COVID. And then we'll talk about our predictions for 2022. Where do you want to start, good sir? 
Well, let's let's start with the uh, with where 2021 started. Um, you don't have to look far because 2022 is starting in exactly the same spot. So, um, 2021 started the same way we're starting this year, uh, and then and then residential schools happened. Yeah, it's really sad that we were in our well in. in Canada, of course, is probably the coldest country on earth. And so guess what? In winter, we tend to stay indoors more. And so, of course, the uh, the COVID cases went up. And it bugs me that they continue to track case numbers. But we'll get into that in a minute. And so numbers were up. Governments decided the best thing to do would be to restrict our gathering sizes for for Christmas, for New Year's, New Year's Eve, and we had government restrictions. We had curfews in Quebec. And, well, here we go. We're starting 2022 with gathering restrictions, curfews in Quebec, lockdowns in Ontario. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like Groundhog Day. And we've got Justin Trudeau, and we posted this video on our uh, Canadian Common Sense Facebook page where Trudeau was saying, you know, just a few more weeks, just a few more weeks, just a few more weeks, and yeah, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, and there's a lot of people still buying his BS and and all the premier's BS and all the 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 uh, uh, medical officer BS. I mean, it's it's just every time. I still know people who are saying, if we just lock down everything for two weeks, we'll be okay. And I'm like, what? What planet are you living on? This, this, has, been, this has been the plan for two years. Two years. Yep, that's right. And uh, those of you who, who heard my rant a couple of days ago and if you haven't, I suggest you download it because I was really, really angry. So I was kind of on fire, if I do say so myself. Um, it's over, folks. I mean, we know these restrictions don't work. We've already seen that lockdowns do nothing but damage. We And it's done, folks, especially now with this latest variant. It's not a dangerous variant. And we're seeing, and Lewis, you had shared, I think, an article with me or, or a posting anyway that said 54 percent of uh of new cases if not more than that were people who are already vaccinated oh no you got that number really wrong um in british columbia we have 88 percent of the population of five years of age and older that are vaccinated 88 percent and 84 percent of all new cases are fully vaccinated. Okay, that makes more sense because the Alberta figure was 83%. And so we keep asking ourselves, okay, so again, back to my rant. If these vaccines are supposed to eradicate COVID, then why isn't COVID being eradicated by the vaccines? Yeah, I mean, and this is where... I, the changing narrative really, really pisses me off is because it goes from, they, they went from, if everybody gets vaccinated, everybody gets their two doses, we'll go back to normal. We can open up, we can, we can go back to life as it was. And that never happened. 
because these vaccines don't don't do what they said that it does. They said these two the, the two vaccine doses would would eradicate COVID and we can go back to life. That the, the, the vaccinated will be protected. Well, that's not what happened. These vaccines don't work that way because, like I've been saying all along, these are not vaccines. Vaccines stop you from getting sick. These do not stop you from getting sick. The only thing that they might do is uh, uh, keep your the most severe symptoms to a minimal level. Because if you look at the numbers, that's what it suggests. 84% of all new cases are fully vaccinated. But six, it's just over 60% of all cases in the ICU are fully vaccinated. So there is some evidence there that the vaccines do help with severe illness. But that is not what a vaccine is supposed to do. So it's not a vaccine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that was the, the part, and one of the things, one of the many things about this that was really, really digging in my craw is exactly, you and I had talked about that. They told us, get your two shots, life goes back to normal. So we got our two shots and, you know, this is so very far from normal and the governments just blow it off cavalierly like, oh, well, you know what, whatever, keep getting shots. Well, Screw you. I'm tired of getting shots. And what the hell did, did we just put into our bodies if these aren't actual vaccines? Like, um, forget it. I'm, I'm all in for trying monoclonal antibodies. I'm all in for trying out ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, other treatments that have already been proven to work. But the government in Canada, and I can't understand why the government in Canada isn't even willing to allow us to try these on our own well because it would stop people from getting vaccines i mean that and you look at what happened in the states i mean florida was having great success with monoclonal antibodies and so uh biden's government um made it very 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 difficult for florida to even get them anymore because people stopped getting vaccines in florida because they, why would they need a vaccine that doesn't totally work if they could just take monoclonal antibodies and get cured? Um, it's So they, they stopped allowing monoclonal antibodies to be sent out to the states. Well, first of all, monoclonal antibodies aren't just used for COVID. They're used for cancer. They're used for other, other types of diseases as well. So those people all got shorted as well. And, and it's, it's absolutely criminal what governments are doing right now. Absolutely criminal. And what they were doing all last year was criminal too. I mean, look at, look at the U.S., okay? The, they have had uh, rapid tests available to the general public since May 2020. Yeah. If you didn't know that, this is a shock. They have had them for more than a year and a half available to the general public. And in Canada, we are just getting them now. And if you're in BC, you're not getting them for another month. 
Wow. Yeah, see, that's sad. And like with uh, then the Florida case, like Dan Bongino, who's a popular podcaster in the States, I listen to his show every day. He had cancer. So he went and he got the vaccines and then had a what they call the breakthrough infection. He also caught COVID. So he took monoclonal antibodies and ivermectin, like uh, kind of like what Joe Rogan did, just took a cocktail of, of alternative treatments. And he actually bounced back in about three days. So, so uh, not like yeah, I don't know why they're even called alternative treatments when you know they're just treatments and they work. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. They're treatments and they work. Like, um, well, you had pointed me toward the Joe Rogan podcast when he'd uh, interviewed Dr. Robert Malone, and wow, if uh, if there's people out there who aren't Joe Rogan listeners or fans. At least check out that that podcast because I mean, Dr. Malone went through monoclonal antibodies. He talked about ivermectin. He talked about all these treatments. I mean, that's what he does. He said, you know, his his jam was drug repurposing. And man, that is a great eye opening show. Not that I yeah. want to call someone else's podcast over hours, but God damn, you got to listen to that, Canada. Yeah, and that's and, and the important thing to remember about Dr. Robert Malone is that he was on the team that invented mRNA vaccines. Right. And so he's if if he were it, you would be expecting that he would be pushing vaccines, vaccines, vaccines because he's one of the main people responsible for mRNA vaccine technology. But he's also the only one on that team that is not financially in a conflict of interest with vaccines. And so he's telling the truth when he's on there. He's saying, look, like, and if you look at his, at his credentials, I mean, he's, he is credentialed up the backside. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he's saying, like, do not get your kids vaccinated. Don't get the booster because they're finding that when you do get the booster, it's actually creating a, um, a period of time where you are more susceptible to getting COVID. And nobody is saying that at all except him. And yet, if you look at, if you look at Israel and their numbers, all their new COVID cases, 48% of all new COVID cases are in triple vaxxed people. Yeah, well, he also said something that really rocked my world when he talked about the effects of these vaccines on young women. He said it's actually messing with their menstrual cycle, and he said it's, uh, it's uh, could really delay pregnancy. Oh, it's not just young women. It's women of all ages. Um if you if you look at uh, I, I I know because I live with two that that uh, that still have their menstrual cycles well, well one that one that's fairly young right she's a teenager and the other is my wife who's you know closing in on fifty years old and both of them their cycles went haywire all last year after the vaccines like really crazy like my wife is almost 50 years old and she was getting it every two weeks weird 
And my daughter, hers was going crazy. It was inconsistent. It was, you know, she was in more, you know, I mean, young, young women, when they're, when they're having their, their cycles or their periods, they, they get in a lot of pain, right? Like a lot of the, a lot of them experience a lot of cramping, a lot of pain when they're, when they're young, when it's new. Right. And I, she, it was so bad. She was crying all the time. Like it was so painful. And, um, and it was like that for six months for both of them, at least like it was, it was insane. And we didn't put this, we didn't put two and two together until I was listening to Dr. Robert Malone on uh, JRE and thinking, Oh my God, like that happened in my household, what he's talking about. And uh, even Joe Rogan said that he has a friend who's like in her thirties who didn't get her period for eight months after the second shot. Um, there's women in their fifties who have already gone through menopause who are now, who, who started getting their period after getting the second shot. Uh, there's a podcaster out of the States. Um, she hosts uh, dumpster fire, the podcast dumpster fire, which is probably the greatest name of her podcast of all time. Um, <laughs> she, she, after the second shot, she didn't get her period. I think she said six or eight months. And it, um, uh, the doctors told her that she was in menopause. And, and then after eight months, started getting her period again. And then got pregnant. But wow. yeah, like what the hell are we doing to ourselves? And why is nobody talking? And that's the biggest thing. Why is nobody talking about this? Because this isn't just your household, my household, and you know, our listeners. This is happening all over the place. And I think people are just writing it off. And maybe doctors can't explain it. So they just say, oh, well, it's one of those things. And they try to affix some kind of label to it. And you know what? That itself could be an epidemic. Yeah, absolutely. So, um now, I just wanted to mention the rest of Israel's numbers. So all new cases, 48% are triple vaxxed. Uh, 35% are double vaxxed. And 15% are unvaxxed. Wow. Yeah. So you've got three quarters of their, their, their cases are people who've had at least one shot. No, have had at least two shots. A two shots, sorry, yeah. Eighty-five, yeah. 85% or whatever have had two shots. Nuts. Two shots or more, actually. And, and half of all cases are three shots. So, um, like, and yet our government is saying the only way out of this is for mandatory vaccinations. Minister Duclos said that, um, the health minister for the federal government. And it's like, hell no, you will not get me taking another shot. I have a cousin who has myocarditis from the shots. I know three men my age who all had strokes 
from the shots. And these are confirmed cases of, of vaccine-induced uh, strokes. Um, I, I, you're not getting me to take another one. No way. And I have, will definitely fight you all the way to the Supreme Court if it means that you're if if it means that my kids don't get more shots. Oh, I'm with you. I'm done taking shots. I mean, I uh, well, as I said in my rant, I'm done with this whole pandemic thing. I've uh, I've got to my breaking point. I'm they nope. They will uh, they will give me a a, a booster shot at gunpoint because it's uh, not happening any other way. Yeah, and I mean, I'm 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 actually at the point where I'm starting to get mad at my mask. Every time I put every time I put a mask on, I get angry at it because it's just it's not it doesn't fit right. It's not comfortable. My glasses fog up, and I and it's been two years, and I'm pissed off now, and I'm done. And and it's like I, I'm just I'm just over this. And I, I it's about time that Canadians just stand up and unite and say we're done, we're over, we're not doing this anymore. The, all these lockdowns don't work. If they worked, the numbers would drop after a lockdown started, and they don't. They keep going up, and 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 then they start falling. And it's not two weeks after we start the the lockdown. It's like a month and a half or two months after we start the lockdown that the numbers drop. This is not then, and, and so, which means that it's not the lockdowns that's that's causing it. It's just waves. And and if we're and Omicron is very much a mild case of of covid i mean i i know that in one of uh, our canadian common sense facebook posts you said i do not recommend covid parties i don't recommend covid parties at all but maybe we should <laughs> but i'm not <laughs> i'm not recommending it in fact i'm saying don't do it <laughs> no you're right and uh yeah, it's really sad that we spent two years in this pandemic now, and I guess not officially in the pandemic, but I mean, COVID's been around for two years already, and we're still exactly where we started. Like, we've oh, learned... Nope, we've learned nothing. And all you have to do is look at what governments are doing every day and and realize they haven't learned a goddamn thing. They keep doing the same things, expecting different results. Yeah, exactly right. All right, so maybe we should start our review since we're 27 minutes on. Um, yeah. So let, let's let's start with Kamloops and the 215 unmarked graves that were discovered that that started uh, a rash of of unmarked grave discoveries across the country. Yeah, it has started in Kamloops in May and. You actually got a hat tip to you, Lewis. Were the first person I heard in any of the the, the talking headspace of Canadian politics who said, "Okay, hold on a minute. Ground penetrating radar is not what you think it is, because in a past career you actually had experience with ground penetrating radar." And shocker, Canada, Lewis turned out to be right. They couldn't actually detect bodies, skeletons, etc. But Lewis, I'll turn that over to you to explain. Yeah, so they claimed they found 215 unmarked graves in Kamloops via ground penetrating radar. Um, and they and they went to the even to the extreme of saying that they were all children. Um, nobody 
and I and I know this from past experience with ground penetrating radar. Nobody, no ground penetrating radar operator would ever say that they know what is under the ground. All ground penetrating radar does is tell you that it's that there's uh, a, a an anomaly. That's it, an anomaly. That anomaly could be a different type of soil, so it doesn't it doesn't rebound the uh, or, or so, so the the, uh, the the X ray waves don't uh, penetrate it the same way that they're penetrating the ground around it. So it could just be a different kind of soil. It could be that there was a tree stump and it's not reading it the same way as the, gro- the ground around it. So it could be a tree stump that, that got cut off and was buried. It could be that it had been dug up at some point and refill and filled back in. It could be that it's just natural variations in the ground. So, and this is, I mean, I, I, when I've when I've had my, my experience with it, we've dug up those spots, and you honestly couldn't even tell the difference between the ground around it and what we dug up because it'll it'll these anomalies could be fairly minor and so minor that you 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 can't even figure out what the difference was without testing the soil. So, I mean, ground penetrating radar is a helpful tool. It is not definitive by any stretch of the imagination and we and we're suspecting that the reason that nobody is excavating any of these unmarked graves is because they know what i know and if they dig up some these these unmarked graves and find out that only some of them have bodies in them and not all of them that people will just dismiss them from now on every time they say something about unmarked graves. I mean, we've already had some of these uh, First Nations communities say, oh no, wait, we knew about those those graveyards. We knew about, about them for generations because we used them. That's where we buried our dead. And when every grave was marked with a wooden cross or a wooden marker of some kind, and over the years they've rotted and disappeared. They've been burned by grass fires they've you know they're they they're just not there anymore and that happened in cranbrook where the where a former chief after they found over 700 unmarked graves the former chief said uh we knew they were there the only reason the ground penetrating radar was even here was to make sure we weren't putting fence posts through grave sites like they've been using them for generations. That 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 cemetery, the one in Kamloops, we've we've got. There's a former, I believe, a former chief, saying that they knew about the grave, the, about the grave uh, site before because they've used it. it. They've buried their people there. This isn't anything new to people. They knew about it. Um. 
And this is happening across the country now. Like people are coming out and saying, nah, we knew about these grave sites. This is not, this is not what, like the way they want it to sound is that it's a mass burial site, um, which is not what they are. No, that's right. And in, in here in Saskatchewan at Cowessis and uh, Chief DeLorme is, is, on with Roy Green quite often, he had had said at first, like, yeah, we, said, we can't use the word mass graves because that's not what it is. And even he admitted that, uh, I mean, after the after the, the big bombshell of 700 plus graves at says he also said that, oh, no, I mean, residents of our community have said that, yeah, where the Catholic Church is, that was where my grandparents are buried. That was where, and again, exactly what you said, that, that was a community graveyard that had been used just happened to be on the, you know, by the site of the residential school. So thank God our left-wing media decided to put two and two together and say, it's all children. Well, that can't be proven. Even if they dug them all up, they couldn't prove that. That's right. And, and, and I mean, again, Canada, it's one more thing that I wish I wasn't right about, but I am. Yeah, no, that's right. You are right about that. And then as a result of all this, um, I can't even say it's a good thing that we created a new statutory holiday for Truth and Reconciliation Day. It's an important, Truth and Reconciliation is very important. But Justin Trudeau showed just how important creating a statutory holiday is because the very first statutory holiday on September 30th, Justin Trudeau decided to go visit your neck of the woods and went surfing in British Columbia. Yeah, his favorite place in the world is Tofino, and that's where he was. He even, he even uh, disregarded the invitations sent out by the Kamloops Indian Band to uh, for him to be there on the first Truth and Reconciliation Day. Uh, his excuse was, I made a bunch of phone calls before I went to Tofino. That should have been enough. Yeah, he really is clueless, isn't he? <laughs> totally. So, um, all right, we'll move on from that one so we can get time for our predictions here. We'll talk about the most important election in Canadian history since World War II was called August 15th, the exact day that the capital city of Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. But still, Justin Trudeau decided, nope, we need to have this election. And, well, we got the same government coming out of it as we had going in with almost the exact same seat count. Well, that was worthwhile. It, everything in the past year has just felt like Groundhog Day. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Except it's Groundhog Year. Like, it just seems that every election, yeah, okay, the, the election was exactly the same as the one before it. The Lockdowns are exactly the same as the year before it. I mean, everything just seems like it was the same as the year before it. And it's just, it's crazy. What bothered me a lot during this this past election campaign was how Justin Trudeau was on the attack uh, against people who were unvaccinated. And you'd almost swear that People who were unvaccinated actually were lepers or actually were like space aliens. I mean, the way he singled out the unvaccinated at every campaign stop, calling them all sorts of names. And we had recently shared that interview with that Justin Trudeau had done in French, 
saying that people who are unvaccinated are likely to be misogynist, racist. Like, talk about rhetoric. Wow. Well, and why is that only surfacing now? Why didn't that surface during the campaign? Oh, we know why. <laughs> oh, we do know why. But, I mean, even the right-wing media did, didn't bring it up. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's really sad because uh, that's awful. I mean, you had said in a rant uh, maybe a week ago or so that that you had said Canada, you had never seen Canada so divided. And you'd said that a year ago. And then when you said it again the other week, that Canada has never been more divided than now. You're absolutely right. We're more divided than I've ever seen. Oh yeah. It's getting worse. Like I, and when I said it a year, a year ago, I meant it and, and it was true. And then I said it again just a few weeks ago and it's even more true today. Like it's, I've just never seen Canada as divided as we are. I mean, and, and the hatred is sick. The, the, uh, how people hate each other because, you know, like people who aren't vaccinated are just, they're like you said, you'd think they were lepers. Um, even though this is really becoming a pandemic of the vaccinated, not, not of the unvaccinated. And yet, the unvaccinated are still the ones getting blamed for it to the point where the federal health minister is calling for the provinces to institute mandatory vaccines, which I don't believe uh, are constitutional in any way at all. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. And I mean, and, and we're not just divided over vaccinated or unvaccinated. We're divided over firearms owners and non-firearms owners. We're, we're divided over left and right. We're divided over everything. Like, it's it's so disturbing how divided we are right now. And um, my, uh, and it's just, it's very disheartening and it's very scary it's really scary, actually, how divided we are. Well, it is. I mean, the election showed us that there is definitely an urban and rural divide as far as people in the cities tend to vote for more left-wing parties. And that's something we'll talk about, too, in our predictions. And, and so we saw that divide. And then Justin Trudeau stoked the flames of every possible wedge he could you know, insert into Canadian society, like you said. He, Firearms owners versus non-firearms owners, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. And of course, he played the race card every chance he got. Like Justin Trudeau is, in my opinion, the biggest perpetrator of division in this country. Yet Ontario and Quebec, the Laurentian Triangle, still re-elect this moron. It's frustrating as hell. It is. And and the thing is, is that he he says Oh, you know that that Aaron O'Toole is creating fear and division, and all of this, and then in the same breath says, you know, that the unvaccinated are the most dangerous people in Canada. Um, I mean, he's he is the problem, not Aaron O'Toole. He's the problem. I mean, Aaron O'Toole is a problem, but he's more of a problem yeah. for conservatives than anything. But and well, the election exactly. and the election showed that because Aaron O'Toole just proved everything that we had said about him before 
the campaign started, which was that he has no nothing. He didn't stand for anything. And, um, but he went a step further than either of us ever expected. Uh, and, and turned on, on firearms owners, which makes up a large portion of his base. Yeah, that was, that was quite sad, wasn't it? Well, yeah, considering both of us are firearms owners, we were just, I mean, I was floored. I couldn't believe that he just decided in the middle of the campaign to just change policy because he was faced with a difficult question by a reporter, which, by the way, wasn't even all that difficult. Um, and he uh, and he just goes, nope, we're going to keep the ban that Trudeau uh, brought in through order of order and council and uh and then we'll review it yeah that's brilliant mr o'toole brilliant and and i mean that's it, it he basically turned his back on his on on a large portion of his base when he did that uh he he changed he changed policy i think two or three times during the campaign um, because he just you know licked his finger and stuck it in the air, and then went, "Oh, we're going to change this. We're going to change that." Um, and he did it three times. Yeah, and what bothered me the well, almost possibly the most is his demand that every conservative candidate agreed with the the platform one hundred percent, or they would not be sitting with the conservative caucus. I was like. Wow, we already have a dictator. No wonder they didn't elect dictator light. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that really bothered me about about him in particular was that um, he portrayed himself as a conservative. Um, he even went after the social conservative vote in the in the leadership campaign, and and then when it came to the actual campaign for the. Uh, general election he abandoned everything and i mean everything there was nothing in that platform by the end of the campaign because he changed the only conservative portion that he had in mid-campaign um the only things that were left at the end of that campaign were all basically liberal policies yeah, that's true. So that's probably so, a good I mean, well, And that's where you and I were saying, you know, well, why vote for him? I mean, you're if you vote for him, you're just voting for the exact same thing we already have. So people, that's what happened. People didn't vote for him because they were like, well, why would we vote for him when we've already got someone saying the same damn things? Like, we'll just vote for that guy again because it's be the better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Yeah, exactly. And you'd made that point during the campaign, and that's exactly what Canadians went with, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, wrap the show up with our predictions for 2022. We've got about 10 minutes to get through that. Should be just about enough time. All right. So, um, okay, Canada, in 2021, or at the beginning of 2021, I said we would carry COVID with us through the summer and be done with it. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Um, Lewis, what predictions might you have made last year that we did or did not quite hit it on? 
Oh, I predicted that the conservatives were going to win the election if there was one. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. And we, uh, <laughs> we, and we did predict there would be an election. So at least we were right on that one. But uh, yeah. no, there's, there's a lot of things that you and I um, were right on. Um, I, I mean, most things that we predicted we were right on. But the things that the major things that we were wrong on were, was, yeah, we would be that the the uh, the pandemic would be over, and that if there was an election, which we did predict, and it happened a little later in the year than we predicted, we predicted it would be more like May. Um, You're right. yeah. uh, we were completely wrong on the results. I was even wrong during the campaign. I mean, I at one point I called for an O'Toole majority, um, but. It was when he changed his his policy in, in the middle of being asked about it um, on firearms, and that's when his numbers tanked. They started tanking almost immediately after he uh, after he did that. Um, so predictions, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I have to go back to listen to what our our predictions were in last year's uh, um, year in review show, but. I mean, the ones that we were really wrong on were the ones we just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? I'm going to actually start right with that topic again for uh, 2022. Because now that we've got this Omicron variant, no matter how much the government tells you to live in fear, Canada, don't. Don't buy into the fear merchants this year, Canada. This Omicron variant, and you had said this, Lewis, a month ago, that this is the beginning of the end. I mean, this is the head cold variant. This is the one that people are getting and not even showing any symptoms of. So as far as I'm concerned, you're right, Lewis, and I'm just going to dovetail off that and say this is the beginning of the end. I think this year, Canada, we're going to be out of this by summer because as soon as it warms up and we're outside again, we won't even know what Omicron was. Yeah, I'm not going to be as pause, like optimistic as you. Um, I'm going to say that that realistically we'll be out of the pandemic by summer, but I don't think the governments are going to relinquish their power by summer. I have a That's feeling a good that- distinction to make. I have a feeling that the governments are going to continue trying to stoke fear in us. I think we'll have, you know, a couple more variants, but they're going to be even more mild than what Omicron is. And, uh, but because they're counting cases rather than hospitalizations and deaths, uh, I think that they're going to try to, hold on to this power that they that they gave themselves for the past two years and they're going to continue to try and stoke uh, fear in in Canadians and keep us to keep us in line um, I I think it will ultimately fail on their parts because I think Canadians are starting to see through the BS. Um, and I think that uh, Canadians are starting to rebel a bit, and I and so I, I think that I think that realistically we'll be done with the pandemic by summer, but I don't think we'll be done with the power grab. You know, you had a, a really good point there, and that 
Well, people are getting tired of it. Uh, there was a video uh, that Maxime Bernier posted with the People's Party of Canada Facebook page uh, with some rallies in Quebec. Uh, against the lockdowns and against the curfews, I should say, in Quebec. And there was an amazing number of people protesting. I think you're right that people are, the people in Canada are realizing that this is a bunch of BS. Maxime Bernier is probably going to end up capitalizing on this for his political gain and not even saying that's why he's doing it, but obviously he's going to, going to gain some popularity and some support out of it. But yeah, I, I can agree with you on that. I think governments would be very, very hesitant to give up the control that they have because they're loving all this power, frankly. But you know, as I said in my rant the other day, we the people just need to say it's over because we say it's over. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I think you're right. I agree yeah. with that. Now, do you think there will be another election this year? I, now, I don't think there will be another election uh, as far as our government is concerned this year. But despite what Justin Trudeau said in his year-end interview with Evan Solomon, I think there's going to be a Liberal Party leadership election in 2022. Really? I do think that. I've The only signs I can really point to right now is that whenever Justin Trudeau is, is doing any kind of major event, he marches Christian Freeland out with him wherever he goes. So I think he's – and uh, you made the point that Liberal Party leaderships are really just a coronation. And I think that, that Trudeau is indicating that Christopher Freeland is going to be the next leader. So whenever I go anywhere, I'm going to march her out in front of the cameras and put her out in the public. And yep, I think that, and I think that you might've made this point on a show post election as well, is that he's now starting to be seen as unelectable because twice he has failed to deliver a majority. So I, I think he's uh, he's going to go out before he's pushed out. That's true, but the Liberals are also pushing the narrative that Justin Trudeau has never lost an election. Um, they think he's un, undefeatable. Uh, and, and, I mean, normally you would be hearing grumblings from inside the Liberal Party. You would be hearing that there's people that are unhappy, that they're turning on the leader. I mean, you saw this with Jean Chrétien and, and Paul Martin. Um, when, uh, I mean, John Kitchen won like three elections in a row and then, and then, uh, uh, Paul Martin's group started, you know, rebelling against it and eventually forced, uh, you know, Kitchen to step down, um, because he didn't have the support of his own caucus anymore. And then Paul Martin took over and absolutely, you know, bombed. Um, to put it lightly, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest uh, uh, chokes in history, and um, uh, and I and I kind of see that happening with Christy Freeland, right? Like I don't see any. I, I don't hear anybody saying that the Liberal Caucus is divided. I just, I mean. You hear someone say something once in a while, but I mean, it not, never comes to fruition. Like, I just don't see it happening, to be honest. Well, you're right that nobody is rebelling. Nobody is saying, oh, my God, Trudeau has to go. 
But you made the point and you were right. And Justin Trudeau proves you right when you say he doesn't take his job seriously. And he loves the campaign. He loves to make speeches. He loves the, all the attention. But he's really bored with being prime minister. And the international community really snubs him a lot when it comes to his offer to the, the G7 to moderate any discussions or disputes between member nations and you know, Boris Johnson laughed in his face. Uh, so it, I think it's, it, he's finally going to, decide, yeah, you know what, for, Chris, for Christian Freeland to take over. And I think that's why he's pushing so hard with the latest, latest cabinet shuffle to get his legacy taken care of. So yeah, yeah. I see him here at the end of the year. Well, I do agree with you that, that Justin Trudeau is, is, uh, is grooming Christia Freeland to be the next leader. I mean, that we've, we've been saying that ever since she was made the minister of everything uh, a year and a half ago. Um, I mean, that's, we've, we've been saying that for a while on this show that she is going to be the next, uh, the next leader and it'll be a coronation like it was for Justin Trudeau. I mean, nobody ever thought that, anybody else had a chance and nobody did because it was predetermined who was going to be the leader, kind of the way that DNC does it in the States. Um, yeah. And, uh, and here, you know, I mean, we've been saying it for a while that she's going to be the next leader. I still believe that. And uh, I, whether it happens this year or not, I don't know. Um, I would like it to happen sooner than later because she's not very likable. And it, it only makes uh, the chances for the Conservatives to win uh, better if she is the leader. But again, Conservative chances totally depend on who the leader of the Conservative Party is. And honestly, Aaron O'Toole is not the guy. I mean, we, we saw exactly why he's not the guy in the election last year. Um, he... he Every uh, every uh, uh, concern that you and I had about him came came to fruition um, in the campaign, and and uh, and I don't think they can possibly win with him. But the problem is, is that the conservatives can't keep picking new leaders every year. Yeah, good point. And uh, speaking of conservatives, Ontario goes to the polls in May of this year. Do you yeah, see right. pull it enough? Uh, yeah, I think Ford will win. I, I mean, I, I, whether he should or not is another question. Um, I think that uh, his he he has been no better than than any other leader seeking draconian power over their populace. Um, he has been no better than any other leader in that in those regards. He, uh, in fact, has 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 you know. Um, required the Ontario uh, people to give up more of their rights than almost anybody else in the country. Uh, I, I don't think that he deserves to win again, but I think he will because Ontario loves their dictators. Well, it certainly does seem that way, doesn't it? Now, um, to wrap the show up here in Canada, uh, Lewis, I made a point to you about the, the liberal brand in Canada, and you thought that I was insane, and, and, and maybe I am. 
But I want to leave you with some hope, Canada, in that I think that the liberal brand nationwide is actually in a little bit of trouble in Canada. Now, I know we have a liberal government. We've been governed by liberal governments federally for probably three quarters of the time we've, we've been a country in Canada. But hear me out, Lewis, before you call the doctors. Provincially, the Liberal Party in almost every province in Canada is virtually non-existent. We have one province in Canada that has a Liberal government provincially, and that's Newfoundland-Labrador. They are only the official opposition in Nova Scotia, and I believe in New Brunswick as well. And in uh, BC. And in BC. But see, the BC Liberal Party really isn't liberal in the way you'd think about the Liberal Party. In Alberta, the Liberal Party is gone. In Saskatchewan, they're gone. Manitoba, they're all but gone. Ontario, seven seats. They're not even, they don't even have official party status. The Quebec Liberal Party in complete disarray. They don't even have a vision anymore. And like I say, Prince Edward Island, the Greens are the official opposition. They only are government in Newfoundland. So, and if you, 338 Canada did polling of uh, Gen Z and millennials, the 18 to 34 age demographic, which is mainly Gen Z, all of 34% would vote for NDP. And it's NDP who are the official opposition almost everywhere but BC where they're government. Yeah, and um, Ellis Roth, who is one of the uh, leadership campaign or leadership contenders for the BC Liberal Party, uh, if he wins, he's changing the name of the party. So, oh, yeah, like they, he does not want to keep the word liberal in there because he said they're not liberals. God, I like him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's one of my predictions. My prediction is is that Ellis Ross will win the leadership campaign for the BC Liberal Party. Um, I also have, uh, uh, I also want to ask you what your prediction is for May 1st, which is, which is the, uh, the deadline for handing over the uh, guns that have been banned by the ordering council from two years ago. You know what? That's just not going to happen. The, the liberal long gun registry back in the 90s was a complete fail. Um, a friend of mine in rural Alberta actually had registered, I want to say it was his glue gun, I believe it was. And they accepted <laughs> the registration and they didn't come to confiscate it. And I mean, things like that. I mean, we've already spent uh, about $10 million on this buyback program that hasn't actually brought back one single firearm no that's true and that's something that people don't know is that we've spent i i can't remember how much we've spent but it's millions of dollars hundreds of millions i think it's like 250 million that they've spent on this buyback program that has not bought a single gun yeah and i know a lot of firearms owners and so do you not one that i know has said oh yeah i'll just hand them over nobody is, is, is going to be handing them over willingly and there aren't enough bureaucrats to go door to door knocking on people's houses to take these guns. So uh, May 1st is going to come and go and we're still going to have these quote unquote banned firearms. Well, the thing I'm worried about is that that's what they're counting on because um, there's, what is it? The, um, 
I mean, the buyback program isn't even hasn't even been set up yet. Okay, so they've spent two hundred fifty right. million dollars or so on this buyback program that hasn't bought a single gun because it's not even set up, um, and we're only we're less than five months away from the deadline, and there's no buyback program yet. Um, a hundred and sixty guns have been turned in, uh, but there's what do they say? Like at least a quarter million guns or something like that uh that this applies to and they've only had 160 turned in with less than five months to go no buyback program in place and i i my prediction is is that they're counting on it uh on people not turning their guns in and then being able to say on may 2nd that gun crimes in canada have skyrocketed and that it is a justification to ban all guns. Ooh, now there's an angle I hadn't thought of. Ouch. Okay, just Canada, I want to make it clear. I actually want for Lewis to be wrong on this one. Oh, so do I. I really want to be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think that's why they eliminated the minimum sentencing for gun crimes, uh, because then people will be let back out sooner to commit more gun crimes and they can point to the rising rates of gun crimes and say, look, our ban uh, it's only gone up since we banned all these assault weapons uh, so we're going to have to ban all guns now. Ooh, you know, I, wow, that, I could see that. I hadn't even, not even thought of that angle till now. Thank you for surprising me with that one. Wow, that's God, I hope I'm wrong. Damn. I really, really hope I'm wrong. I hope but so I too. But I don't think I am. I think they are that sinister. Wow. All right, Canada. Let's wrap the show up on that one so we can keep up our tradition of winding up the show on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> so it might, uh, be the, thank- it might be the greatest tradition in uh, Canadian yeah, podcasting. That's right. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so thank you for tuning in, Canada. Uh, we are going to, I'm going to go back just for fun and listen to our 2020 wrap-up show, just so I can listen to our predictions again. And I suggest you do that as well, Canada, if you're interested. Until then, thank you for joining us, and we will be back with you next week. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. and Tony.